0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 189. Just ahead, rising expenses have Zion Bank Corp worried. And we'll drill down into the oil business, looking at surging activity in LNG and a surprise pronouncement from Halliburton. And the big business of bringing high-quality drinking water and high profits, one bottle at a time, super slick interview with Primo
0: Water CEO Tom Harrington. But first, sponsor time. The drill down is brought to you by era never miss another critical event or insight ever with era customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more all within an easy to use customizable interface. That's era A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the drill down on
1: any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google play, Stitcher, iHeart. TuneIn, included among those places you can listen to us, but you won't miss a single show. If you hit the subscriber button and follow
0: us. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com com, to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson,
1: welcome to The Drill Down, we're going to explain the business stories behind some wiggly lines on a chart. Yay. Helping me do that as always, executive producer, Isaac Webster.
0: Isaac, how are you? I'm great, how are you? So drying out up here. We are too. Finally. We are nice and dry down here. A perfect day for Primo Water to be our guest. Uh, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? I wanna to look at Zion's Bank Corp. Uh, trades under Zion, Z-I-O-N, and shares have risen 6% since the start of the year, 2023, but have fallen almost 18% if you're looking at a yearly chart. So Zion's an interesting uh, regional
1: bank based out of uh, Salt Lake. They own lots of different brands all over the, the country, predominantly in the West, a little bit in the Midwest. But an interesting company, uh, uh, not least of which, because they are sitting in this world right now where they're seeing uh, uh, difficult times. Now the revenues were up in the quarter, they just reported $883 million in revenue. Net interest income may be a more important number for a bank, 720 million in the fourth quarter up from $663 million the previous or 553 from a year ago. So income's going up, but originations look like they're slowing down. And the question is, is that because business activity is slowing down or is it because uh, uh, rates are up and it's harder to, for, for certain companies or individuals to see a return on uh, a loan when the rates are so much higher? Um, I, I've always tended to be skeptical that higher rates really make businesses in particular make decisions saying, oh, you know, I wanted to build a new factory when interest rates were at two percent, but now they're at four percent. I don't want to build a factory, I, you know. But on the margin, I guess that happens. So the question here is: is what's it going to look like uh, going forward? And and the the number that this bank uses a lot, a lot of banks use is the deposit beta, which is if we increase our deposits, um, what's what's the uh, observed cycle going to be in terms of the beta versus their deposits and their ability to to loan out and their costs related to that. And at 18%, uh, it really shocked, I think, a lot of people on Wall Street who thought the number was going to be more like 5%, not least of which because the bank told us that. So here's Zion's bank CFO, Paul Burtis talking about the pressure they're seeing with higher rates and why they think that their uh, deposit beta is going to be more like 18% instead of what they thought previously was going to be 5%.
2: Where we've seen
1: the pressure is not necessarily on the rate, it's been in the volume, you know, which kind of implies that there's a rate element attached to that. The 18%, to be clear, while it's a very precise number, you know, as implied, that's sort of a modeled number based on our experience. And it's intended to capture sort of our best estimate of where deposit rates could be. But to your point, you know, this is kind of a day by
2: day challenge. We're constantly managing the balance between the rate paid uh, and maintenance of the uh, very valuable deposit franchise uh, on the balance sheet. So uh, I I would love to be able to tell you that it was, uh, you know, very conservative
1: or otherwise. But it's, you know, it's frankly, it's based on History and uh, based on our models, it's our best estimate of where we think uh, deposit rates are expected to go. So, bottom line, it's tougher times, uh, Isaac, for Zion's Bank uh, to make the loans that grow their business. Um, I think really, it sounds like the dual threat of uh, their their uh, uh, higher interest rates um, uh, scaring away some customers, lower economic activity scaring away some customers, and uh, their rising expenses you know, adding to that, uh, um, the making their margins a little bit worse.
0: Yeah, it was interesting to hear such frank talk from Paul Burtis right there. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Baker Hughes. Uh, Baker Hughes trades under BKR and shares have dropped over 5% over the past week, but they are higher by almost 11% if you're looking at a 12 month chart.
1: Well, and I wanted to do a dual look at the oil and gas business, which, as you know, fascinates me so very much. Uh, uh, with Halliburton and Baker Hughes, companies that are often lumped in together because they both are in the oil field services business, but very different kind of companies. Baker Hughes, much more of a kind of consulting firm for, uh, in particular, the sort of later aspects of um, refining oil and gas. Um, and in, indeed, uh, the big questions about LNG. With the war in Ukraine um, shutting down Russian gas and Russian oil supplies, uh, it's really changed the consumption. Of liquid natural gas and long-term planning for liquid natural gas, and so um, uh, there there's the, the some acronyms. It's oil and gas, so there's got to be some acronyms. Um, FID, final investment decisions. When they plan these these uh, LNG facilities to um, uh, to essentially freeze the gas uh, and then put it onto ships and then take it to an offtake facility, perhaps in Europe or somewhere else, the decision to actually go ahead of these projects. Uh, comes after many years uh, and thousands of hours of work um in planning and 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 uh, designing these facilities. a lot of that work done by Baker Hughes. But the big money comes when the final investment decision happens. And the question ultimately is how many mtpas are they going to be able to crank out? That is the annual is an capacity of flow rates, yeah, million tons per annum. Ah, so how many gotcha. millions of tons a year? of liquid natural gas can these guys create? And in particular, is the Mideast, which has not been a huge player in LNG, what is is the Mideast going to do in terms of um, uh, capturing gas, um, uh, putting in LNG facilities, and selling that that gas? North America has been producing a lot of LNG. um, And so the question is, where are they going to do this? When are they going to get those final uh, investment decisions, those FIDs, and when are they going to decide how much, how many million tons per annum or MTPAs Are they going to crank out? Here is Baker Hughes CEO, Lorenzo Simonelli.
3: I can tell you the customer discussions have been uh, remaining, and uh, there's a lot of positive momentum. And I think uh, both as you look at the near term and also the long-term prospects for natural gas and LNG, it's a positive investment cycle. You know, in uh, 2022, we did experience some cost inflation, some higher interest rates, which slowed the pace of FIDs. But conversations with customers definitely hasn't slowed down. And I think you've seen some of the announcements also uh, within North America from SEMPRA related to Port Arthur uh, next Mm -hmm. decade, which has signed up a supply agreement. So, you know, importantly, I think the operators globally have recalibrated the project costs to the current environment, and they're actually starting to see success in securing some of the off agreements. I think there's a realization out there as well that natural gas, LNG are gonna play a key role, not just as transition, but also destination as um, the world continues to need more energy. And so we see a number of projects that are getting close to FID. Uh, we feel comfortable with at least 65 MCPA reaching FID this year and expect to see sanctioning activity actually uh, exceed that. So it's not just about 2023. I think as uh, sure. we look at the environment right now, we're actually going beyond and seeing also 2024 and also 2025 with the uh, portfolio we have of uh, modular approaches and a good time to be in LNG.
1: Don't you love that voice of Lorenzo?
0: Yeah,
3: Great and I feel like
1: people
0: times. we've been hearing so many bullish comments on LNG for a while. Um, you know, but we have never heard of Right, but it's Baker always Hughes around the this. it's
1: always around the bend, it's always in the future, it's always on the come. Mm-hmm. Finally these things are really happening because the natural gas market has picked up in terms of, of prices, and the long term effects of the war in Ukraine are having an impact certainly in Europe, but really globally when it comes to LNG and LNG production.
0: Corey, what's your next drill down? I want to look at Halliburton. Halliburton trades under HAL, and shares have dropped 8% in a week, but Halliburton shares have risen 39% over the past 12 months. Uh pretty good investment in, in Halliburton stock if you were there for that. Well, ride.
1: Uh, it's because the company's doing so well. I mean, they announced fourth quarter earnings where uh, total revenues are up 30% to $5.6 billion, uh, 30% year over year. It's just a fantastic uh, yeah. quarter. Although profits were down to $656 million, uh, not unlike Baker Hughes. But uh, uh, as we, and, and there's lots of reasons for that. Rising costs are a big part of that. Uh, but I, I think once again, the question is what's going to happen to the wells that have been drilled in North America, where there's nothing coming out yet, where there is a completion that could be done where there are um, uh, drilled but uncompleted wells. That's right, a duck. Walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, but in oil and gas, if they talk about a duck, they're not talking about a duck. They're talking about a drilled but uncompleted well, D-U-C. And uh, so those are wells Uh, where they've they've done the work, they found the oil and gas, they've drilled the well, they're at the platform and they're saying, you know, it's not even worth it to take it out of the ground right now. Let's just cap this well, leave it uncompleted, even though it's been drilled, and we'll complete it later and get that oil and gas out of that well. Well, in North America, there are a lot of ducks and uh, getting those ducks in a row. Okay, see what I did there? <laughs> Walking getting those ducks, ducks in a row and getting that oil and gas yeah. out of there could be a great big business for Halliburton and for others. Now there's well, it, a would great be oil, suspicion it would be
0: oil off a of duck's back oil right off that duck the, yes it right? would
1: <laughs> now we can talk about oregon uh, uh, football but no let us not do that um i, I think it's uh, uh important right now to, to look at the expectations of the industry of that the ducks will remain uncompleted and that there won't be more rigs going up in north america and yet the halliburton cfo jeff miller says that's all wrong and he thinks north america is going to surprise to the upside here's jeff miller
4: North America is going to in my view will surprise to the upside. Um you know our outlook is 15 north of 15% growth. Uh clearly we outpaced that last year and that's what I said last year. Um you know I don't have any clients that are not you know that are that plan to get smaller. They all plan to grow. Um you know, and I think that you know, North America has a dynamic uh of the more the more you grow, the more more the market has to work in order to maintain even the growth given decline curves. And so, you know, I expect we see increased service intensity throughout twenty three, uh, and likely beyond. The market is you know, extremely tight for frack equipment, um and and, and the supply chain still backed up. Uh and so I don't see a, you know, I I see discipline in the marketplace and more importantly, I see sort of required discipline based on equipment being unavailable. So uh, the more activity we see, then ultimately the more price we will see. And so I I am very positive on 23 uh, North America. So I I think the, you know, the concerns are misplaced and, um, you know, rig count likely moves up actually as ducks get blown down.
1: So Halliburton and CEO Jeff Miller make it a big bet that the world's wrong, that they're right, and that was the bet they made last year, and that certainly worked out, that the world is wrong, that they are right, and they will see positive uh, developments of ducks um, actually getting completed, but rig counts going up, and more oil and gas coming out of uh, North America, which is good news for Halliburton. Speaking of getting all wet, Primo Water. Really interesting business delivering water to individuals and businesses, uh, and a fantastically profitable, uh, growing in a sustainable way, the, yeah, yeah, and 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 not just selling more stuff and not just making more money, they're even our margins are really going through the roof here. Uh, technology companies yeah. wish they could see more oil companies wish they could see margins like this. Primo Water's got them and they're getting better. And The story is an interesting one. Primo Water CEO Tom Harrington joins us right
0: after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers. With the world's most reputable brands, Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more.
1: Welcome back to the Drill Down podcast. We are joined right now by Tom Harrington as the CEO of Primo Water. The artist currently known as Primo Water after a name change a few years back. Tom, glad to have you on. Um, oh, what an interesting business you guys have! It's it's more than just a water cooler business, although it is in fact
2: a water cooler business. Yes, it certainly is. And uh, good morning, and thanks for having me, Corey. Uh, we supply healthy hydration water in a number of different ways to consumers. It is a water cooler business. We refer to it as Water Direct. We also supply bottles to large retailers and DIY customers, where a customer, consumer, can bring their bottle, empty bottle, to the store location and exchange it for a full bottle. We also have a refill business. Uh, So we would have vending machines that dispense high-quality drinking water outside of retail locations across America, and in some cases, in the aisle. Uh, inside a retail location. So we provide water in a number of different ways. And the best way to think about it is when it, whenever, wherever, and however a consumer wants it, we'll try to provide it. Uh, and to
1: give our listeners an idea of the scope, you guys are doing about uh, uh, more than $2 billion top line, $2.2 billion top line of a trailing 12 months, uh, and very profitably, uh, 19% EBITDA margins. So it just, it kills me when I, being here in Silicon Valley and every once in a while look at a company that's profitable and then look at a company that's really, really profitable such as yours.
2: <laughs> yeah, we, I appreciate that. It's, it's a, We're fortunate to be in a category that has high consumer demand. And frankly, I'm privileged to lead a, a number of teammates that are really focused on the customer experience. So our revenues and our profitability is driven by that combination of what we call customer for life and a, and a valuable, important associate experience and bringing those two together, you know, to reach the consumer where they live.
1: I wanna get back to the customer for life um, notion because you guys do have some important metrics that I think are interesting, but take me back to a uh, more macro level. What are the big drivers in the bottled water business?
2: So if you think about the tailwinds that we experience today, there's clearly a shift to healthy hydration. It was certainly going on before the pandemic, but I think accentuated as people became more concerned about their health and now taking actions uh, to live a healthier lifestyle. A
1: move away from a move away from three sodas a day to six bottles of water, glasses of water or a move away from the three martini lunch to water. I mean, what's what's the move? Yeah, I don't I know about?
2: about the martinis, but certainly a move away from sugar. Oh, I know about the martinis. And and shelf stable juice, you know, sugary beverages uh, to really reduce the caloric intake. And then we've experienced the benefit of that growth as consumers look to us as a healthy alternative and look like, you know, life is water. Uh, we'd like to make it primo. Uh, and that's really the connection. The other thing that helps us on the tailwind is unfortunately, everybody's read about Flint, Michigan or recently Jackson, Mississippi. And i think we're going to read more about
1: that with with the the flooding we've got here in california right now and what that's exposing about water systems or uh, that's probably a second derivative story and and uh indeed the an infrastructure plan as that spending starts to come out we start to see how bad some of these water systems are that we didn't know about
2: yeah i think uh look municipal water is largely good there are instances where there's there's challenges as an example in flint and or jackson but I think consumers have growing concern about quality of that tap water, which has puts positioned us as a as an alternative when a consumer makes that choice. You know, uh, clearly the the U.S. government is making a a plan to make investments there, but I think that's a rather long road. Uh, so we think this tailwind will, will will be here for us for the foreseeable future.
1: And what are the demographics of your customers? Is it Families who've got little kids and, and want to get those kids drinking water or is it the millennial who's who's sweating it out at Barry's boot camp and trying to uh, uh, be ripped and healthy?
2: Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, because we have multiple solutions, we actually appeal to a number of different consumer demographics. Uh, so we would certainly have uh, baby boomers like myself. Right. So I care about healthy hydration as I'm a little bit older than the average bear. But we certainly, and we have plenty of uh, families. You know, the typical married couple with two kids, and moms and dads' concerns about providing their kids with the right hydration. And then, as an example, our refill business is a lower socio and economic scale because there's a real value equation on what you could acquire water for on a per gallon basis. So we really span the consumer marketplace, which I think supports some of our growth and our trajectory and some of our good profitability.
1: Talk to me about the Costco business. I have read about it and I still don't understand it.
2: Yeah, so we've uh, had a relationship with Costco for a number of years. And if you went to a Costco uh, over the weekend, you would see our people set up with a table sharing what our product is and soliciting the the Costco member to, to start the water service. It's not in every Costco every weekend, but... You know, we would be in 55 or 60 Costcos on every weekend. And it's a way for us to solicit new customers. It's a way for Costco to offer a valued service to their members. So it works for us. It works for Costco. And frankly, it works for the members that start the service. So everybody wins in this uh, equation.
1: How big is the business?
2: It's big. <laughs> so Go it's, on. Uh, that <laughs> we actually don't disclose the numbers but it's a meaning a meaningful contributor to our future growth in terms of customer growth
1: when you look at uh, uh, acquiring customers in that fashion um you know is 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 that a cheaper way to add customers or is it you know you you spend the money getting those customers because you've got the person sitting at costco and it takes you two or three years to break even on that customer because the customer acquisition cost of having that Salesperson out there for a while, um, you know, eats up the profits you might gain from the customers they had?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's an efficient and effective way to acquire a new customer because they have such high traffic that I can sign up or solicit lots of new customers in one event. Uh, the customer, the Costco member typically stays with us longer than other customers. So we actually get a good customer lifetime value and a, and a nice return. And frankly our, our uh, returns are much quicker than three years you' you're on the order of 15 to 18 months on average
1: and what are your other methodologies to uh, add customers
2: we we are uh, we benefit from owning a website <laughs> called water.com so it wow. is a, a meaningful form of online and digital new customer solicitation so that represents a a good amount of our new customers. We also ha- also use our regional brands, so uh, brands like Alhambra in Northern California or Sparklets in Southern California. So consumers know who we are, and we will solicit them and transact through, you know, typical online marketing events. We Do you spend also a lot of money have search optimization. Uh, absolutely, SEO, SEM, or uh, uh, we spend a fair bit of energy and investment there building that. Uh, we introduced a mobile app, an enhanced mobile app, My Water Plus, this past year. It gets solid ratings on both iOS and Android, which is a way for us to begin to digitize our relationship with consumers, which is about making it easy for them to do business with us. The app is one way. Water.com is another way. So there's lots of ways for uh, existing customers and potential customers to interact with us and learn about our services.
1: Um, it's, it's very interesting. I, you, you, you talked about sort of customer retention and when your customers stay with you. Your customer retention numbers um, are given out in an annual basis. Uh, if I'm, it's a little bit of a fact checking there. It seems to be annual. Sometimes other companies I've been involved with um, weren't always so clear about what that those numbers meant. Uh, but those numbers are, are also big, something like 86 percent, and they seem to be trending higher.
2: That's correct. It's uh, about roughly 86.5 percent and has remained pretty consistent over the course of the last year or two. And, and I think that's important because of, you know, all the impact consumers have had, one with the pandemic and two with inflation. So we've been able to have a very stable customer base as we work through the, uh, the challenges, frankly, of the past year. Now, we're proud of that, but it's also a function of what those associates on the team do in terms of taking proper care of the customers we have. So if we give you good service, you'll continue to enjoy the benefits of the water and stay with us for a long time.
1: Um, how long is a long time? Do you do you even know? I mean, you talked about how the, uh, the, the Costco customer stays with you longer than the average customer. Have you been yeah, in the see, business would- long enough to know and how do you know?
2: Yeah, so we obviously, you know, we will track, obviously not. We would track uh, when a customer starts and when a customer leaves uh, in real time. And our average customer in North America stays with us about four and a half years.
1: Interesting. And how do you decide, Yeah, I saw you, you guys uh, purchase Crystal Spring Water uh, back in October, and it, it made me wonder what, needs does your brand have? You mentioned the regional brands. How do you decide when a brand is is worth buying and and how do you even start to value those things?
2: Well, our business uh, is about customer density and route density. So in many cases, we'll look to acquire a local operator because we benefit uh, from the overlap of that customer based on our existing infrastructure. And that's one of the ways we leverage operating margins over the long haul right? Because that route density is is one way to create profitability. Uh, so, we will look for overlapping businesses in our footprint. Uh, DNA is in our M&A. We've done you know upwards of 125 or 130 uh, small acquisitions over the last uh, six or eight years. So, it's an important part of our growth story. Uh, and, so, it's know, really, it as, uh, in, in you know, oil frankly, and gas,
1: we'd call that uh, when, in oil and gas, when they do EMP work, when they're drilling, they call it infill. They kind of figure out the broadest parameters of what the the well might be and where the where the reservoir might be. And then they infill with uh, closer knit um, wells to try to get every last drop.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a very similar strategy. We call them tuck-ins, but it's really the same idea. So I have an existing infrastructure, and I'll just put more customers on top of that. And then my routes get denser. I can give better service. And then that leads to longer customer lifetime value and frankly, higher customer retention. It
1: strikes me that this really is similar to the soda business in that you've got, um, you know, distribution facilities full of lots of bottles that go onto trucks by guys that got to lift these heavy things. And then they drive around and, and load them off the truck and get someone to sign off and get back in the truck and try to get the route done so they can get home with their wife and kids.
2: It, uh, correct. There are a lot of similarities. So it is, you know, production to distribution, distribution to customer. In our case, the bulk of our customers are homes and small offices. So that's the one difference from uh, a Coke or a Pepsi, as an example, is I'll deliver right to your house. Right. I'll put the bottles in your garage if you want me to. And then our commercial business is is, uh, not an office business. Think of it more a barbershop, dentist office, doctor office uh it's a bigger piece of our commercial base which makes us a little bit different than the, a typical beverage distributor does that mean smaller
1: trucks does that mean um a higher cost of operation you might have in the soda business
2: no it's uh it, we operates, let
1: me translate for the midwesterners that's pop in the midwest yeah. you call it pop. the rest <laughs> of us call it soda
2: soda or pop right uh, actually the trucks are similarly sized and because we want as many bottles on that truck as as we can get and what would feel like uh more cost it's not because we have such great density so if i was in a neighborhood in los angeles i might park the truck once and service six or eight customers so it really is about enough bottles to satisfy the customer and drive less deliver more
1: And you must be benefiting from the uh, the lately from the reduction in fuel prices, which is to say, uh, you know, nine months ago you were probably hurting from the increase in fuel prices.
2: Uh, Correct. Although although diesel unleaded has obviously come down uh, pretty significantly in the last months, diesel has been uh, a little more resistant in terms of price decline versus you know where it was a year ago. So.
1: And yet the profitability has continued for your company. You've done quite well through this.
2: That's correct. Look, we, we've exhibited good price elasticity. So if you give good service, you have a high quality product that consumers want. We've been able to pass through pricing to offset the impact of inflation.
1: And well, you, you probably will keep those prices there if uh, inflation recedes, as inflation that would recedes, be, I should that say. That would be correct. That would be good for you. Um, <laughs> let me also ask, Um, uh, When we think of geopolitical matters, you guys have seen an interesting benefit or starting to see an interesting benefit from reduction of tariffs, that there was a tariff attached to, I guess, the machines that go into homes and businesses.
2: Right. So there was a tariff on dispensers imported from China and our largest uh, supplier of dispensers or cores is in China. So uh, that Tariff was put in place in January of 22, and it was recently changed and eliminated effective November 6th. So it was a headwind for us in 22. It'll be a a big tariff for us in 23. It was a big number. Yeah, it's roughly uh, $16 million on an annualized basis.
1: Uh, put another way, I think it was something like uh, $125 per unit. Is that right? Which is about 100% well, yeah,
2: of, of the cost. Uh, so think about if uh, pre-tariff, I could sell a dispenser for $100. I now have to sell it at at least $125. So it was okay. uh, pretty significant inflation. It's in a, In a world of rising inflation, by the end of 23, these dispenses will be lower. It will actually be the one item that's deflationary in an inflationary environment because that, we will pass that, that price back through to our customers.
1: So that comes down by about 20% after the tariffs. Correct. Um, well, that's good news for the customer. Imagine that. So for you, the game changer is, is what? More infill acquisitions. It's slow and steady growth as customer preferences change away from uh, sodas and three martini lunches uh, towards uh, towards healthier water.
2: Yeah. Look, I, th- I think the tailwinds will continue to be consuming uh, consumer concern about healthy hydration and water infrastructure. We're in a great, and a great place for that. I believe we'll benefit from that in the long haul. Uh, our growth will come organically our current targets are high single digits, and we believe that will come from as consumers consume more and we continue to solicit customers through things like the Costco uh, agreement as well as providing great service. When you put the three of those those factors together, we're, we're confident in our growth story.
1: All right. Tom Harrington the CEO of Primo Water. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Corey. Have a great day. Stay hydrated. Right,
1: coming up next, <laughs> yeah, of course, gots to. Coming up next, we're gonna have a wet bite, not just because it's dumping rain in Northern California, but because uh, it's about primo water. One number that tells us a whole lot. Right after this,
0: the drill down is brought to you by Era. Give, with Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era. A I E R A. dot com.
1: And there are so many ways to listen to the Drill Down podcast. You can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, Google Play, you name it. In fact, you could listen to us on all of those things. Might give us an artificial boost in listener numbers. That wouldn't be good. But nonetheless, listen to us as often as you can by clicking the subscribe button. Follow us and catch every show.
0: And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrilldownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We're back with the drill down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot
1: about Primo Water. Isaac, one of the important metrics, arguably the most important metric for this company, is growing over the last, uh, let's call it five years, at a 43% clip, 43%. Uh, is your uh, your bite? You want to guess what metric that is?
0: Forty three percent. I mean, I uh, customer. Oh god, I have no idea. A uh, customer. So I will. Uh, <laughs>
1: here I am saying it's the most important metric. It's such a huge it's number. the
0: profit. It's the profit
1: margin. So the profit margins are That's at eighteen point nine percent, which is fantastic. Yeah. But the g- growth in those profit margins it bumps up a little down, up and down every few quarters. There's a little bit of seasonality, it looks like, in this business. It's a little more profitable towards the end of the year. But the the trailing um, 12-month EBITDA margin, which is 18.9% in the quarter they just last reported, five years ago, that number was more like 13.5%. So profit margins, EBITDA margins growing really consistently for this, uh, to me, surprisingly interesting business.
0: Water's the new gold.
1: Let's not get crazy here.
0: I guess Primo already knew I thought that. Ether
1: was the new gold. Oh yeah, <laughs> or is that the yeah. old gold? There's lots of new gold. Are, are you there. guys? You guys are very healthy in your household. Are you? Are you, uh, are you, are you straight out of the tap? Drink out of the hose. Uh, we do. We drink.
0: We drink uh, tap water. Yeah.
1: Now that now that the Los Angeles River is flowing, you just send the kids down there with a big cup.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have our bucket system. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, you don't. <laughs> All right, well, we're glad everyone's chipping in here by listening to the Drill Down podcast, by um, uh, paying great attention to our supporters and advertisers. We're grateful for all of that support. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer, and Ben Wilson stitches this all together as our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network.